Hello, CSFD. Welcome back to the 2020 Firefighter Safety Stand Down Week, where we are discussing traffic incident management and safety related to that. My intent today, um, we'll just call this session two, is to tie part one and part two to CSFD and relate it um, to our own procedures. So what I'm going to do is do a TAC Ops review of 100.22, which is Traffic Incident Management, or TIM. I'm doing this in this podcast format because I want it to be similar to sitting around the kitchen table and discussing this as a crew and kind of reviewing the TAC op together. Of course, you guys can print this out. I've got it attached to this target solutions assignment so you can print out the TAC ops, follow along, or just do this yourself as a crew, you know, discuss traffic accidents and let's create a, a safer environment through open discussion and understanding of what the TAC op is. I want to talk about the dangers of traffic accidents before we get into this tech op. So just real briefly, some of the dangers that we face are things such as undeployed airbags or leaking fuels like gasoline or diesel or an unstable vehicle. Or the big one, in my opinion, is distracted drivers, the people that are actually passing through the, the traffic accident scene which is why we're setting up this traffic incident management area in the first place. So the purpose of TACOPS 100.22 is, um, is to provide guidelines for safe and effective operations at traffic um, accidents. Our general guidelines with this are for responder safety is our number one priority by making firefighter safety or our safety our number one priority, what we're doing is we're creating a safe environment for the um, people that are involved in that tra traffic accident or the people that are responding around that traffic accident. So by making it safe for us, we are making it safe for those pre people that we're providing service to. Of course, our first line of safety is always going to be um, wearing the proper PPE. And for TAC ops, for traffic accidents, we shall don full protective clothing minimum. You can find the full protective minimum in TAC ops procedure 100.07, which is our personal protective equipment or PPE TAC op. A quick review of what uh, full PPE minimum is is first, it's your structural helmet. Next, it's your hood, so wear your hood as needed. If you're working at an, at an accident that has fuel on the ground, there's potential for fire explosion, things like that, make sure you have your hood on. Um, next is your face shield or your goggles, your safety glasses, it says as needed, um, but we should always, you know, your helmet, you've at least got your face shield and your goggles on, but if you're gonna be operating around breaking glass or you're doing medical procedures, make sure you've got your safety glasses on uh, to protect your eyes as well. Your gloves, your turnout coat, your turnout pants with suspenders on, not around your hips, and your turnout boots. Obviously your turnout boots, so you've got your steel toe and your sh steel shank to protect you from any crushing injuries to your feet or any sharp objects going through the bottom of your boot. Our next defense is how quickly can we clear the roadway? 
You know, the longer that we're operating on the street, the more vulnerable we are to um, having additional accidents, incidents, or injuries occur. So the quicker that we can clear it, the more safe we're going to be. And I understand that clearing the accident scene isn't always going to be quick. Um, it can't always happen right away. There's other considerations that we have to take. Um, you know, one, are the vehicles movable at all? You know, can we move them? And, you know, two, patient care has got to be a top priority for us. So if we can um, set up the scene so that we can provide patient care and still be protected and we're in a good spot, then we can do that. But we also want to do it efficiently and move that scene as quickly as possible. It's always a good reminder that Colorado state law requires motorists that are involved in minor accidents to move the vehicle to the shoulder or a safe area. When we arrive on scene, it's the company officer's responsibility to assess that incident. And if it hasn't been moved to the shoulder or to a safe area, then that company officer can make the decision on, are we gonna work it in place or are we gonna move it? And if it's minor and it's uh, non-injury and we're operating in a roadway, it's probably gonna be a good decision to move it at least to the shoulder, if not to some other safe working um, area. If you are the company officer or if you're um, on a squad and you're trying to make decisions on, hey, should we move this? And you've got questions about that. You always have the resource of contacting dispatch and having dispatch um, ask the question to PD, get direction from PD. Um, so if you're not sure, you know, use that resource. If it's a larger or more complex incident, the other way to, um, to utilize PD or um, the law enforcement officer is to unify them with you as command and use them as a resource to help you make good decisions uh, based on flow of traffic, lanes that are being shut down, um, additional resources that we can use to help us with that traffic control. Um, like Department of Transportation, things like that. So as, as either a command or as that company officer, if you need to request one of those PD resources to unify with you and, um, or work with you as a liaison to help make those decisions. All right, let's get into some of the definitions or our common terminology. And actually, before we get into that, I want to talk about the importance of understanding the words that we use and using common terminology. You know, and I'll relate this to NIOSH reports. I can't think of a NIOSH report that I have read that doesn't have communication listed as um, one of the contributing factors to that line of duty death or that incident that happened. So the more clear and concise that we can be, the better communication we're gonna have, the safer that we're gonna make that entire incident for us and for everybody else. You know, that communication with dispatch, that communication with PD. So we need to understand what our common terminology is and be very proficient at using it and using it the right way. So first, uh, first definition is gonna be blocking. So blocking is pos positioning the apparatus upstream to obstruct the traffic flow um, of one or more lanes, and we want to do this at a distance that allows traffic to safely identify and avoid the accident scene. So that's a, you know, a, a big sentence, but really what we want to do is just position that rig, position your cones to give people a heads up. 
you know, positioned far enough away, but not too far from the incident where you create an area where people will drive back into the incident. But, you know, block, um, you know, block that incident the right way. There are two types of blocking. The first one is linear blocking, and that's positioning the apparatus to block a single lane of traffic. Typically, this is going to be done on the kind of low acuity, um, stranded vehicle, stranded motorist, um, something where we're not going to be operating around the vehicle. In that case, the linear blocking might be a good decision. The next one is the multi-lane block. And multi-lane block is positioning the apparatus to block multiple lanes. Um, and we'll get into lane plus one in a little while. But, you know, not only are you blocking just that lane of traffic, but however many more additional lanes that you need to block to create a safe workspace around that traffic accident. Next word is downstream. This is traffic that is departing the accident area. So just relate this to a river or to our swift water, you know, upstream, downstream. So downstream is that traffic that is departing the traffic accident area. Lane identifiers. So for traffic accidents and when it comes to uh, multiple lane blocking, for lane identifiers, we use a numerical system. So either lane one, two, three, et cetera, however many lanes there are. The left fastest lane in the direction of travel is always going to be your number one lane. The next lane to the right of that is going to be your number two, the next lane to the right of that, number three, and so on. If it's a two-lane road that you're working on and you don't have the multiple lanes, the lane lanes are identified by the um, geographical direction. So if you've got an east and west running road, um, you're going to identify it as the eastbound lane or the westbound lane. There's no more, there's no longer a need for the numerical identification. All right, a minute ago I used the word lane plus one. So lane plus one is you're blocking the lane that you're working at plus one additional lane either to the left or to the right of that. You're doing this just to open up that workspace to create a bigger, um, a safer operational area for you to work in. Next is the taper. So the taper is the way that we place our cones to direct traffic uh, out of the, its normal flow. So when we're trying to direct traffic either around our accident scene or you know, to make a left or a right to avoid our area, that's going to be the taper zone. A good rule of thumb for setting up cones is that the cone should be spaced the same as the speed of the flow of traffic. So if you're working on a 45 mile per hour street, then those cones are, the, or if the traffic is gonna be traveling at 45 miles an hour past your incident, then each cone should be spaced at 45 feet apart. So if the traffic's flowing 10, 10 miles an hour around your work area, then you need to space those cones at 10 feet apart. All right, we're going to talk about apparatus positioning. What are we trying to accomplish with the positioning of our apparatus? First, we're trying to protect the responders that are performing their duties um, in that operational area. Next, we're trying to protect the uninvolved civilian vehicles that are traveling through the incident scene. And 
The third thing that we're trying to do is we're trying to minimize the disruption of the adjacent flow of traffic through that area whenever it's possible. If we need to shut down all the lanes um, in both directions to create a safe area to work in, then we do it. But at more minor TAs, then we want to shut down enough scenes or, or enough lanes of traffic that we can work, but we're also not slowing down or impeding that flow of traffic. When we do that, we, we always have to understand that we are creating frustration in those drivers. So the more frustration that we create, the more chances that we're making of um, creating an unsafe work area around that traffic accident. For drivers, it's always important to remember that when you stop that apparatus, turn those tires away from the scene so that if the worst case scenario that apparatus gets hit from behind, it doesn't push that vehicle into the traffic accident area, but it pushes it the way the tires are turned away from that uh, our work area. The next thing we're going to talk about is tow truck requests. You know, what's our what's our responsibility or what's our role as CSFD when it comes to um, requesting tows? So the first one is the emergency tow. Um, this is typically something that we would be requesting. If CSPD is not on scene, but we need a tow truck to immediate, um, immediately mitigate some type of a hazard, such as um, a vehicle up against a burning building or lifting a vehicle off a person, or you've got a vehicle that's leaning over an embankment or a cliff, <clears throat> the company officer should be immediately requesting that emergency tow. But with that request, it's also important to understand that that response could be up to 30 minutes before that tow gets there. So we need to have a, a plan A, a plan B, maybe a plan C in place while we're waiting for that emergency tow to arrive to help us out. Next up is the non-emergent tow, and this is typically what happens on most of our traffic accident scenes. The law enforcement, CSPD, they're already on scene. We're dealing with, um, we're managing the patients or the incident itself, and PD is the one that's requesting the non-emergent tow. However, oftentimes CSPD is not on scene, and we do need a tow truck coming. So we have a couple different options, and the one is that we request a non-emergent tow through dispatch. Something to consider with the non-emergent tow is if we're going to have to wait for that tow to get there, then we need to identify, do we, should we be leaving that vehicle in place? Um, if it's not movable, that's probably where it's going to have to stay until the tow gets there. But if it is movable, maybe this is something that we need to move off to the shoulder or to a parking lot to a safer location. Um, maybe that means pushing the apparatus, um, or the, not the apparatus, but the vehicle into a safer space. When we request a rotational tow, it's important to remember that we have to remain on scene until that vehicle has been towed. The other option or a preferred option might be that we assist the operator of that vehicle to request their own tow. They call up their insurance company or they call a tow company of their choice and then they request that that tow truck come. When they do that, we know we're no longer required to remain on scene with them. 
Now, it can always be the company officer's discretion. Um, maybe the vehicle's in a bad spot where we need to block the vehicle, or maybe that person needs more assistance while the tow is waiting to come. But if they request their own tow, we don't have to stay on scene unless the officer decides that they, they want to. It's important to remember that the rotational tow um, could take um, you know, up to 45 minutes. I believe their contract is that they have to have somebody there within 45 minutes. If the person calls for their own tow, you help them with that, and then they say that it's gonna be an extended period of time before that tow gets there, then we can always fall back on calling for that rotational tow through dispatch to help us out and facilitate that, make it happen a little bit quicker. And that's the that's the review of, uh, review of TAC Ops 100. Um, point um, 100.22. Again, this was not intended, um, or the intent of this was to provoke discussion within your crews. So I, I, I hope that you're sitting at the kitchen table or you guys are out, um, you know, working out in your district and you take this opportunity to talk about these discussion points that have to do with, with our TAC ops and start talking about safety related to traffic accidents and um, traffic incidents. You know, we're not just doing this because it's the 2020 firefighter safety stand down. We're doing this because it's our responsibility as professional firefighters. Um, and it's our responsibility to continue to train on this information. I hope that you guys have a great week. I appreciate you tuning in and listening to my message. Have a great safety stand down week. And um, I look forward to hearing all of the great work that you guys are accomplishing out there.